I think we all know that so much of the affordable housing crisis today is driven by the fact that we don't have enough supply in either homeownership housing or rental housing. Welcome to Buzz House, a Vacantilia podcast where you can find all the buzz around multifamily housing. I'm Don Bernards, the partner in charge of Bakertilly's multifamily housing practice. And I'm Garrett Gibson, a partner at Baker Tilly, also specializing in consulting on multifamily housing transactions across the country. Each week, we'll bring you a guest or a topic in the multifamily housing industry that will help you win now and anticipate tomorrow. Let's get started. We are very excited to welcome into the Buzz House today, Garth Riemann, the Director of Housing Advocacy and Strategic Initiatives for the National Council of State Housing Agencies, or NCSHA, as you know it as. We saw Garth recently at a state housing conference and asked if he could join us today, and very excited as he is able to join us. And of course, a very busy uh, time of year, elections, uh, year-end, maybe legislation and so forth. So really uh, f- uh, thankful for Garth uh, joining us today, and let's jump right into our discussion with Garth. I'll turn it over to Garrick. Thanks, Don. And Garth, thank you for, for joining. We obviously know you have a very busy schedule. Um, before we jump into questions, what we typically uh, like to do is let our listeners know a little bit about your professional background as well as your work at NCSHA. Thank you very much, and thank you so much for including me on this podcast. I'm uh, excited to do it, and nice to see you again and talk to you. Yeah, I've been working in Washington in advocacy and legislative-related jobs for almost 40 years now, from when I started as an intern coming out to Washington to work for my senator, and then I have progressed in a variety of related Washington jobs. I worked for the United States Senate Banking Committee for a while, covering housing issues. I worked for the executive branch at the Office of Management and Budget at HUD, where I started getting more and more into housing issues, worked a little bit at the National Association of Realtors, and then um, after working uh, for the Senate Banking Committee, I came to NCSHA for the National Council of State Housing Agencies, where I've been for almost 30 years. And we represent the nation's state housing finance agencies, the entities in each state that typically issue tax-exempt bonds for home ownership and rental housing and allocate the low-income housing tax credit and help administer a variety of the other key and important affordable housing programs throughout the country. And I um, am involved in most of what we do here having to do with legislative and regulatory policy on all the different issues that housing finance agencies address, which ranges everywhere from trying to help persons experiencing homelessness to helping people into homes and stay into their homes. Thank you for that intro, Garth. That was an impressive career you have there Um, and still going. (laughs) Um, The advantage of being around a long time. (laughs) <laughs> well, th- thank you again for, for being on Buzz House, and you know, we'll jump into some questions. So, Garth, um, would you let us know what the discussion is currently uh, centered around with respect to the Neighborhood and Homes Investment Act? In, in other words, like, and, and what would this program actually look like? Right. The Neighborhood Homes Investment Act grew out of a couple of concerns, and it's particularly timely now because one of its main objectives is to help 
increase the supply of affordable for sale housing for homeowners. And I think we all know that so much of the affordable housing crisis today is driven by the fact that we don't have enough supply in either homeownership housing or rental housing. And the other problem that the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act is really geared to address is the fact that there are many communities where if you start with what it ta- the money that it takes to acquire a home and then the money it takes to rehab that home, the markets in those areas, kind of ironically because of the affordability crisis, are too soft to be able to sell that home for a price that will cover both the acquisition and rehab. So the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act is designed to provide a tax credit to investors that would either manage the development of that housing themselves or that would syndicate those credits and buy them in a market similar to the low-income housing tax credit. But the point is that it would provide equity through investors that wouldn't have to be paid off by the sales price of that home and thereby make acquiring and rehabbing those homes more affordable and allow people to do more acquisition and redevelopment of homes that right now, in many cases, are either not being rehabilitated and falling out of the housing stock or are just not being acquired and developed and are lying vacant in many communities. So it's important to get that supply back in the affordable housing and inventory, and the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act is a great way to do it. Thank you for that overview on that program. I look forward to seeing if that may come around. You know, switching gears, and Derek and I have talked a lot, as as the industry has talked about tax-exempt bonds in volume cap, 4% tax credits, we see, give or take, half the states, right, running out of a volume cap has been a hot topic. Garth, what discussion is going on legislatively to help with the availability of tax-exempt bonds for these 4%, you know, light-take transactions? Yeah, it's a hot topic for us, too, because, as you say, there are a number of states that are reaching the limits and exhausting all of their tax-exempt bond cap. And tax-exempt bond cap is provided in a way where it needs to be used for both single-family and multifamily housing. And the fact that there are growing needs in both of those areas and states and other developers are really becoming much more able to couple the tax-exempt multifamily bonds with housing credits to produce more multifamily housing, which is really important, but it uses up more of that bond cap. So we really are running out of it. There are two main legislative provisions that we're working on right now that would really help. One is it would reduce what we call the bond financing threshold. So instead of having to pay a whole 50% of a development's cost with tax-exempt bonds to qualify for that extra housing credit that I just talked about, you'd only need 25% of the cost to be paid for with tax-exempt bonds. So theoretically, if it really works well and the economics work the way we think it would, you would basically be able to do about twice as much multifamily housing production with that housing credit that comes along with tax-exempt bonds for the same amount of bonds. In other words, it would stretch it 
by we think as much as 50%. And uh, that's a very important provision. It's included in the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act that does a lot of really important things, increases the overall cap for the housing credit program, makes other changes to make that program more efficient. And it also includes another provision that would help on the the bond availability side, and that is it would allow bond issuers, which are usually state and local housing finance agencies, to recycle more of their bond cap. There's already a program where states can issue multifamily bonds and get the housing credits with them. And then when those bonds are repaid, which often can happen very quickly with some kind of takeout loan financing or something like that, those prepayments can then be used again for another purpose. Right now, the only other thing that they can be used for is more multifamily development. We want to change that so those recycled proceeds can be used for single family development and even other uses, not necessarily affordable housing. And that, again, would allow more recycling to happen, more initial bond use for multifamily financing, and then more proceeds from prepayments left over to do more affordable housing activity in the single family and other areas. So those are really the two main provisions we're working on, and we think they'll really provide a lot of help on the overall bond scarcity that we're experiencing. Yeah, thanks for that, Arthur. We, you know, we've been tracking that, and, and Don and I are always discussing amongst ourselves that this would just be great if we can get that through. Um, switching gears again, you know, what about the Biden administration? We're, we're really kind of discussing what other types of priorities are on their agenda, because one of the things that we're actually hearing about is appraisal reform. So I don't know if you could touch on that. Yes, the, the Biden administration is really trying to do a lot of things in affordable housing. So I don't want to kind of jump right into that without saying, you know, they're working on supply, they're working on energy efficiency and climate change retrofits and a lot of different things. But they are very concerned about um, equity and making sure affordable housing development and all the housing finance activity is more equitable and avoids some of the conscious and subconscious discrimination that has taken place. And one of the key areas they're concerned about is appraisal reform, where they feel that for a number of reasons, there are disparities in the way appraisals might be conducted and the way values may come out for housing in predominantly minority areas versus appraisals for housing in uh, non-minority areas. And so they have a major project, a special task force that's being led by Secretary Fudge at HUD to look at where some of these disparities come from and how they might try to address them through regulations, uh, HUD regulations to affect HUD programs, the GSEs, government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are also doing quite a bit of work through the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which is also led by a Biden appointee, um, are also trying to make sure that they reform the way appraisals are done and help that industry develop so there are fewer disparities and more accurate appraisals of all housing in all areas for all different home buyers. Thanks, Gar. So, you know, speaking about 
reforms. What about CRA reform? Um, what is the current dialogue around any reforms within that CRA spectrum? Yes, right now um, in Community Reinvestment Act reform, we are waiting for the three regulatory agencies that work together to issue Community Reinvestment Act regulations. They each share different responsibilities for overseeing our nation's financial institutions. And so the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the Federal Reserve Board, and the Office of the Comptroller of Currency worked together to produce a set of proposed regulations that they released last year, and then they gave people the opportunity to submit comments. And we at NCSHA worked with many other stakeholders, and many other stakeholders worked independently and collectively with other groups to submit, I'm sure it was hundreds, it may even have been thousands of comments to those financial regulators with advice on how they were proposing to change the CRA. One of the areas that we're most concerned about is that the proposed regulations would eliminate what's um, called the investment test, which evaluates the way banks are investing to make sure that they are investing in a way that promotes um, community development in all areas, particularly underprivileged and low income and hopefully higher minority areas to address those disparities that I was talking about a little while ago, because they really exist in the community development housing area too. And we think that eliminating that investment test may reduce the incentives for many of those financial institutions to invest in the housing credit. And right now they continue to be probably the most important investors in the housing credit and other forms of community development financing like tax-exempt bonds and others. So there are a lot of changes in the proposed regulations. Um, they're, they're, I think, mostly favorable and move the CRA to update it for the new realities of the financial system that's really changed a lot since the regulations were last changed almost 20 years ago. And there have been a lot of controversial proposals that um, in some ways fortunately haven't go forward. So the regulators and the stakeholders are really trying to come together with a set of proposals that will be positive and avoid some of these concerns. But what we're specifically waiting for now is for those regulators to react to the comments and to produce a new probably final regulation, which may come out probably early next year or maybe well into next year, but we know they're aiming to issue those regulations as soon as they can in the next calendar year. Thank you for that detail. You always hear about CRA and it's always good to have someone, you know, kind of succinctly let us let us know where that's at. Chris, really, you know, kind of one last question again, thank you for your time. You know, and we hear also maybe about like this the industry trying to get back the 12 and a half percent of you know nine percent credits and you mentioned the, the the taxes and bonds and of all the legislation that's out there garth do you, you know using looking at your crystal ball or can, can you hypothesize what maybe has the best chance of passing i know it's who knows but what's what's maybe the best chance or the industry is really behind right i think the congress is really looking for a uh, a time and piece of legislation or vehicle to include the changes in the housing credit that you just mentioned, making sure that we reinstate the 12.5% increase that was put in a few years ago and has just expired. 
and maybe bump up that credit cap to provide more credit resources and make the bond change uh, I mentioned. And I think that we are well positioned that as Congress comes back after the elections for a lame duck session and looks at kind of a combination of spending and tax proposals that they want to finish before the end of the year, um, we're very hopeful that they will include those. And we're doing everything we can to build support and convince Congress to do that. The one other item that I would mention that we haven't talked that much about is the spending side, where there are a number of very important programs, the Home Investment Partnerships Program, Section 8 Rental Assistance, homeless assistance, other core HUD programs that need to be funded for the remainder of the fiscal year sometime between now and the end of the year. And I think that that appropriations bill is also something that Congress is going to be focusing on when they come back after the elections and is likely to happen. Very good. Gar, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, listeners, thank you for tuning in as well. Uh, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dart. Thank you for listening to BuzzHouse. To receive a notification when new episodes are available, please subscribe to BuzzHouse, a Bakertilly podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. For additional resources around multifamily housing, check out bakertilly.com. And if you have a suggested topic, please send them to build at bakertilly.com. That's B-U-I- L-D at bakertilly.com.